So we're going to dig into John chapter 9. We're going to cover the entire chapter. I, I thought I was going to maybe break it in two, but really this John chapter 9 is one story that you just really need to read the whole thing. You need to go through the whole story. And so because we're going through the whole story, we're really just going to hit the highlights that kind of st- stood out to me, I guess the overarching theme of this story. And this is a very famous account of Jesus healing the man that was born blind. And, and once the man is healed, then there's this long dialogue that goes back and forth between the man that was healed and between the Pharisees and then between the parents and the Pharisees and then back to the man and the Pharisees. And it is intriguing. There is some, there is some really amazing stuff in there. But before we get there... Um, just to tell you the, the title of my message, uh, I titled it, The Blind See and the Seeing Are Blind. The Blind See and the Seeing Are Blind. And, and you know, some people refuse to believe, even in the face of the greatest evidence. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever been that? You refuse to believe something? I mean, I know in my relationship with my wife, there's sometimes, in, you know, in our marriage, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, this is a spur-of-the-moment example. But I can tell you, there's been times I've gotten communication from her about a situation. I just refuse to believe that this is true or it has to happen this way. You know, like maybe like you need to follow the instruction manual to put together a tent. You refuse to believe the evidence that it has to be that way. As men, we think there's another way that it can happen. But on a serious note, there are people just that refuse to believe the obvious that God is real, and he has a plan for their life, and that he loves them, and he died on the cross, and they refuse to believe. And, and it's, a, it's a picture of that that we're going to see in John 9, but there's another, there's another picture of this that we see in Second Peter 3. I just want to read Second Peter 3, 1 through 5. It says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, and Peter is writing about the coming of the Lord, and the reality that the Lord will return. And he says, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They, they will say, where, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep or died, All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And verse 5 is key. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. They deliberately, it's a willful choice. They deliberately overlooked the, the, the fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. They deliberately reject the reality that God is the creator. That God is real. And that God not only created the world, but he's going to come back one day, return to, to, to the world to receive his sons and daughters. Those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to key in on verse 5. They deliberately overlook. Deliberately overlook. There are people who will willfully overlook in spite of all the evidence they'll overlook was that you was there was there anybody in here that that was like that for a season until the lord softened your heart yeah absolutely you just delivered that you said i'm refusing to believe the truth refusing so this is what we're going to look at so we're going we're to read the whole story you guys ready 41 verses we're going to read the whole story and i promise you i will stop 
<laughs> in the middle of the reading. I'm going to make, you know, I don't think I can go through 41 verses without stopping and giving some, t- some sort of running commentary. So this might take us a little bit to get through 41 verses. But so just a little context before we get to start reading uh, chapter 9, verse 1. This is still like not long after. This is right after Jesus had to flee the temple because right before as chapter 8 was ending, when, when Matt was preaching last week, Jesus told the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the temple, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's basically communicating to them, I existed before Abraham. Because he basically was communicating that, that, that he was greater than Abraham. And, 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 and then the Pharisees said, well, Abraham's our father. And we listened to him. And so he said, oh, yeah? Let me tell you something about something here. Let me set you straight. Before Abraham was even born, I existed. I am. And that word, that phrase, I am, is connected to the, the Old Testament picture of who God is, Yahweh. And so he was relating himself. He was connecting himself as Yahweh God, creator God. And for them, that was blasphemy. And so that's so they picked up stones. And, of course, chapter 8 says that he, he snuck out. He did, a, he did a beam me up, Scotty, and he was gone. He materialized and, and got out from, from where he was. And then we pick up verse 9, chapter, uh, verse nine chapter 9, verse 1. And as he passed by, he got out of the temple, he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's so key right there. I am the light of the world. This is such a key verse as he's going through this story. He wants to communicate in this story that he is the light. He is the light. I am. It's another I am statement. I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed, put mud on the man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed. The blind man went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others says, no. But he is like him. He looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I just love this picture right here. Like they're arguing about him. And he's like, hey, I'm the guy. Like seriously, I, could, I know who I am. I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where, where is he? Where is this Jesus? And he said, I don't know. I just, I just, I just love the dialogue. It's just like, I, I don't know where he is. I, just, I, I can see, but I couldn't see where he went. First, isn't that funny? <laughs> I don't know where he's at. Um, they, brought to the Pharise- they, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. So now they're like, okay, you, you need to go. And that, was, that would have been a custom if you were a Jew and you were sick and then you were healed. You would need to have presented yourself to the religious leaders so that you could present yourself as healed. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, 
how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Wow. That's just the only commentary you need right there for that is wow. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And this is the captain, this is the hello captain obvious right here. This is like, duh, right? Blind eyes had not been opened before. This is something new to happen. There's never been blind eyes opened like, like this. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Some said, again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet, meaning he comes from God. This blind man is willing to admit that this Jesus who put mud on his eyes is from God. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. (laughs) It's like, okay, well then you just really weren't blind then. Because this cannot be true. They just didn't believe he had been blind and had received his sight. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son? who Who you say was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. We know, and that he was born blind. But now, but how, but how now he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, an interesting note here, the reason, one of the reasons why they would have done that was because they knew that if they, because of what was going on around the time concerning Jesus, if they would make a public declaration about Jesus and how he was healed, and they would have affirmed Jesus as being sent from God, they would have been kicked out of the temple, out of the synagogue. And you'll see later, they kicked the blind man out, and we're going to get to that. So it wasn't just a smart, a smart comment. It, they were protecting themselves. They didn't want to, to, to take ownership of it. They, they would admit, this is my son, he was blind, but he now sees. But if you want to know how it happened... He's, he's a grown man. You can talk to him. Verse 22. And, and we see, you, hear, you see what I was saying here. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So, this is so funny. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Meaning, you give glory to God, not to this man who we believe is a sinner. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) And they reviled him, saying, you are, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pharisees answered back, you were born in utter sin. 
and you teach us, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. said, you're gone. You, you, you you're no longer can be a part of this synagogue, part of this temple. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, the, the, the former blind man, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world, that those who do not see may, may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we blind also? Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Look, some confusing verses there, and we'll get to that at the end uh, of, of this message. And so what, where do we start? I mean, there's so much to dig out here. I mean, this really could be like a two or three week uh, series here, but I, I just, um, I felt like let's just cover, let's get the highlights of the story. There's so many great things that are in here, and I just love the realness of the dialogue. Like, I can just see this dialogue, just, just, just I, and I love whenever, whenever the, the, the former blind man looks at the Pharisees and says, why, this is an amazing thing. Like, like, I cannot believe you don't get this. Just such a real dialogue there. So, so what is the point of this story, and, and what is the picture behind the story? And this is what we need to see. Why did Jesus come? Did he come just to heal people? Was that the reason? Just to open the eyes of the physically blind? Did he come just to heal lepers? Just to raise the physical dead? Why did Jesus come? And this is what we have to think about as we we see this whole picture. He came because he was the light of the world. He came for a greater purpose than just to do miracles. And this is what the religious leaders of the Jews were hung up on. They were hung up on the miracles and, and and. The ones who were not the religious leaders, they saw the miracles and they made the obvious connection. He's from God. The Pharisees saw the miracles and they ignored the obvious and refused to believe that he was from God. And, and, and the point is that Jesus didn't come just to do miracles. He came to do miracles so he, his deity could be confirmed, so it could be proven and shown clearly to all that he was from God, sent from God. So, so what are the things that, that we see that we learn? The first thing is this. When the blind receive their sight, it is for the glory of God. When the blind receive their sight, it is for the glory of God. That's what we see. Let's read back John 9 verses 1 through 5. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Let's just stop right there. So there, was, there would have been a tradition during that day. There would have been an, an understanding. There was this belief that if somebody was born with a sickness, with a malformation, they were born with blindness, they were born as a leper, they were born crippled. Or if they had something that happened to them that af- after birth, and they had it since birth, that it was because either their parents sinned or because they sinned. They were guilty, and so because they were guilty, and they, they, they either inherited that guilt from their parents or they did something that's why it happened to them. And that's why if you think back, whenever the man born that, that was blind, that was healed, when he began to kind of teach the Pharisees, he brought some truth up to, to them. That's why they said, you were born in utter sin and you're going to teach us. That's what they believe. They believe that. That's what Jews believe. And there's a picture of that. You guys remember the story of Job? I, I read from Job on Sunday. Job had the worst friends ever. 
Like if you want to, if you want to look for friends, if you're looking, if you're lonely here tonight and you need some friends, you do, you need to try to not find friends like Job's friends. You need to read the book of Job, read the conversations of, of his friends, and, and, and you can eliminate a lot of people in your life that could, that, that could, that could possibly waste your time and not be genuine friends. These are some bad friends. And so, but this, this is a, a reflection. Job's friend, uh, in Job 22, gives us a, a demonstration of their belief. Job, you know, Job lost his health. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his kids. He lost his cattle. He lost everything. And so now they're, they're just trying to figure it out. So his wife says, curse God and die. And then his friends come and say, well, hey, we got it figured out. We know why this is happening to you. Job 22. It says, it is for, it is for, is it, excuse me, is it for your fear of him that he reproves you or, or, or enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. Agree with God. I mean, get right with God and be at peace. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby, good will come to you. Because your iniquities are abundant, this is why it's happening. If you would agree with God, peace would come to you. Thereby, good would come. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay, lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your God and your precious silver. And that was the picture that the Jews had. That's why the disciples came and looked at Jesus and said, why was this man born blind? Did his parents sin or did he sin? And the reason he was born blind was for neither of those reasons. When you're born, you do not inherit, you do not inherit the, the guilt and the consequences of your parents' sin. You do not inherit the guilt and the consequences of your parents' sin. You're not responsible for the sins of your parents when you were born. You are born a free will agent. You are born with a, a, a bent towards sin and you are responsible for your choices and you, 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 you don't live with the consequences and the repercussions and the guilt of your parents' sins. You grow up and you make your own choices and you, are, you stand judgment for your own sins. Now, can somebody live their life and because of their sins become sick? And become blind. Become sick or blind or any type of sickness. Absolutely. You can make poor choices, sinful choices, and bad can happen to you. But it is, it is not true. And, and Jesus is doing what he did away with this. He said, no, it's not true. It's not because his parents sinned. It's not because he sinned. Because of the curse of sin on humanity, men can be born with blindness. And that's another picture. Because of the curse of sin, because of the fall of humanity... Babies are born with sicknesses. Babies can be born with blindness. Babies can be born with a disease. And it's not because they sin or their parents. It's because overall, humanity is under the curse of sin. Because of the curse of of sin on humanity, men can be born with blindness. Men can also make sinful choices that can cause blindness. But contrary to what these Jewish people had come to believe, men and women are not born with the burden of carrying the responsibility or consequences of their parents' moral choices so why was this man born blind why what 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 did jesus say do we like that answer (laughs) i don't like it either man that's a tough one as i read through this text i read last couple days and like i don't like this lord that doesn't sit like like he god can get glory 
some other way. But unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately in our flesh, but fortunately because we're not God and God knows better than us, Jesus' answer is what is true. What did Jesus say? Let's go back to the text. John 9, 1 1 through 5. Rabbi, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's the answer. How does that work? In my, in my brain, it doesn't. How does it work in your brain? It doesn't. Because if it was up to us, nobody would be born with any sicknesses. But that's the reality that we live in. That's the world that we live in. We live in a cursed, fallen world. That's what we talked about on Sunday, right? When I read through Romans 8, there's this inner longing, this groaning for the redemption of our bodies. The earth is groaning, and we inwardly are groaning. This is a reality. But God's going to get glory. God will, God is going to get glory. And the bigger picture in all of this is that when the blind receive their sight, when a miracle does happen, whether it's physical or spiritual, it is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. That is the ultimate purpose of life, that we would live for the glory of God in health and in sickness, in suffering and in joy. In all of life, we live for the glory of God. We live for the glory of God. This is ultimately, also, it's ultimately a picture of salvation apart from works. You know, because the, the belief is, of these Jews and these Jewish leaders, was that if I maintain good, I'm not going to suffer. If I can maintain a good lifestyle, if I, can, if, if I can stay true to the law, then I'm not going to suffer. Well, you know, the truth of the gospel says that there's no amount of good that you can do that can earn God's favor. And so this is a picture that it doesn't matter if you're good, you're, you're bad, if you're righteous, you're unrighteous. When, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it is for his glory alone that he moves in your life. In healing of sickness, in salvation of your soul, it is ultimately for his glory. It has nothing to do with what you did or your parents did, what they did not do or what you did not do. It's for the glory of God. It's for his glory. It's ultimately a picture that God is in control. And, and, and we're, we don't get to be in charge. He's the sovereign God and king over the universe in our life. We have to rest in that reality. The spiritually blind are given sight, not because of what their parents did, and not because of what they did, but because of God's power. You know, when miracles happen, when miracles happen, one way that you can know whether or not it's truly from God when miracles take place is is what happens after the miracle. What do people do? What, What do they say? Do they give glory to God? And that's the key. That's, that's the heart. That is, that, that's why God does miracles in people's lives. It's because he desires to be glorified in this earth through your life. So that's the first thing that we see. It's, it's really, it's, it's a hard truth. That when the blind receive their sight, it is for the glory of God. It's, it's, it's a hard truth for us to find rest in. Because we, 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 we don't find rest there. Because if it was up to us, nobody would ever be sick. You know, when I think about my children, I, when Lincoln was born... Um, the doctor said that he was born with a um, genetic a genetic mutation. So I remember when we first got the news, and and we we're rushing to Children's Hospital to go get blood tests ran. And you know, at that point, we we didn't know what was true, what was not true, what was real, what was not, how serious it was. And so you you just your, your head's kind of spinning. We were overwhelmed, and 
We spent six hours in the emergency room waiting for them to draw blood and get urine. And it just was turmoil. And so and in those moments, you know, if it was up to me, that, that would never happen. But I don't, I don't get to have that control. I don't get to be God. I just have to trust. I have to trust. And if he, and he's, he's, he's healed, he's fine. But if he would have been born with something, and I would have prayed for him, and he wouldn't have gotten healed, and, and he, he would have had to live through, through suffering, what, what would I do? What is the choice that we make? We have to choose to trust that God is in control. And that there's times that we pray, and we can't just make it neat little categories and say, well, if you would have had enough faith, it, w- it would have happened. Or, or if you would have prayed hard enough, you didn't pray the right prayer. You know, I've seen, I've seen the pain that comes from that. I've seen it in people's lives. I've seen it. I've seen Christians that believe God. They trust God. And the healing doesn't come. But when it comes, what do we do? We give glory to God. We say, God... We trust you. We, we thank you that you moved. And in the time you didn't move, your answer was no. There was no healing. We're still going to believe. We're still going to trust. We're still going to know because we know that you're above and you see more and you're worthy of our trust. Amen? Amen. I know that's heavy. That's a hard truth. But it's a truth that's good for us to think about and to process. Second thing that we see in this story is that a hard heart will overpower the evidence. A hard heart will overpower the evidence. The evidence that is right before them. Let's go back to the text, John 9, 24 through 34. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He says, I've already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? They reviled him, saying, you, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. And the man, verse 30, answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not Listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. It is obvious that Jesus is from God. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And listen, look, look at the picture of the, of, of the hard heart. You were born in utter sin. And you would teach us and they cast him out. A hard heart will overcome the greatest amount of evidence. Doesn't matter what the evidence is, a hard heart will overcome that evidence and will refuse to believe. This is very reminiscent of Romans chapter 1. You guys remember in Romans 1 what God's word says to the Apostle Paul? I just want to read this section. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and and the unrighteousness of men. And what do these unrighteous men do? They suppress, they, they, they push down the obvious, they reject. Their hard heart suppresses the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. 
What, 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 what can be known by God is plain. They, they see the obvious, just like the man born blind. He was blind, but now he could see. Never since the beginning of the world, the man said, has, has, has a man been born blind ever been healed? It was obvious. What could be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Think about that. God showed to these Pharisees the reality that Jesus was God. It was plain to them. It's the same picture we see in Romans 1. It's clearly seen. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine truth, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So, so unrighteous men who suppress the reality that there's a God because creation shouts there's a God and unrighteous men we see in John 9, they clearly see that Jesus is God. They see his miracle working power. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They had hard, foolish hearts claiming to be wise. Isn't, isn't that the Pharisees? Claiming to be wise? They claim to be wise. They claim to know God. They say, Moses is our teacher. He's our father. We're the keepers of the law. We know God. We know the law. Claiming to be wise. What did they become? How foolish. That's why the man born blind said, why, this is an amazing thing. You're so foolish. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among, among themselves, because they exchanged the truth. What did, what did they exchange the truth for? A lie. Exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So sobering. A hard heart will overcome all the evidence. Have you ever met somebody like that? Were you like that? I asked that question earlier. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody? You tell them, you tell them the obvious evidence of the power of God in your life and what God has done, and, and no amount of that evidence overcome, overpowers their heart. You know, because we underestimate the power of sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. The power of sin in people's lives and, and the power of sin to control their thinking, to influence them, to get them to refuse, to acknowledge truth is very powerful. We see clearly the deceptive power of sin. Sin twists the mind and makes it almost impossible to see things clearly. Sin causes confusion and breeds spiritual blindness. It's the power of sin. When somebody is in love with their sin, in love with living life however they want to live, when they want to be a God unto themselves and worship and serve the creature, the creature rather than the creator, it's because they love their sin. Because they want to stay in their sin. They want to stay in their position of being in control of their life. They're not willing to surrender and to submit. And the power of sin, the deceptive power of sin, it twists their minds. And they're unable to see the truth. They live in darkness. A hard heart will overcome the power of the truth. 2 Corinthians 2.11 gives us a picture of what Satan does. And it's speaking in 2 Corinthians 2 about unforgiveness and, and, and having unforgiveness and getting forgiveness within the body of Christ. But I want to focus on two things concerning Satan here. It says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. What does Satan try to do? Tries to deceive, tries to outwit us. For we are not ignorant of his designs. He's got a scheme. 
He's got a plan. And his scheme and his plan, his design is to deceive. It's to deceive. It's to keep non-believers in their deception, in their darkness, in the hardness of their heart. And it's to deceive us, to outwit us, to try to align ourselves with his plans and his strategies. A hard heart will overpower all the evidence. In the face of overwhelming evidence of the deity of Jesus, the religious leaders of the Jews conspired to have him crucified. You know, this wasn't the only miracle that Jesus did. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. There was overwhelming evidence to the power of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Think about this. You know, and, and, and if, if, if we believe that, that we think we would do anything different, we are, we are deceived too. We would, have, we, we would have done the same thing if not for the grace of God. If not for God's mercy and grace. If, Jesus would have, if God would have sovereignly decided that, that Jesus was going to be born not of the Jews but of Cajun Americans. It would have been a Cajun crucifixion. It would have been. Because, but, because here's the point. The heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is, of man is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Who can fathom it? Think about that. The Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, dwelled on earth for 33 and a half years. For three and a half years, he did miracle after miracle, proving his deity. The word spread all over the region surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding the whole area, and people crucified him. They, 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 they murdered him. They killed him in spite of all of the evidence. So, what, what do we learn in, in the second picture here of, of this story? It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to soften a hard heart. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle of God that somebody's hard heart can be taken out and God can give a brand new heart. It is the work of the Spirit of God to bring the spiritually blind back to life. Do you believe that? It is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that's why you're here. You were once in darkness. You were once not of the light, but now you are of the light. You are out of the darkness. You dwell in the light. You love the light. You love the truth. That's why you're here. That was a miracle of God. Thanks be to God for his miracle working power in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good. That's, that, that's powerful truth. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to soften a hard heart. What's the third thing that we see? Third thing we see. And this is kind of the confusing verses there towards the end. What Jesus is trying to say here. Let's try to make sense of what he's saying here. Let's read verses uh, John 9, 35 through 39. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you right now. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. What is Jesus saying there? Those that do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The third thing he's saying here, there's two things he's saying in this section, but the third thing we want to bring out here is that if you recognize your blindness, Jesus will give you sight. That's what he's saying. That's the first part of what he's saying here. If you will recognize your blindness, the Lord will give you sight. Those who do not see, those who recognize that they do not see, they're going to see. That's why I came. I came to do that, to give sight to the blind, to give sight not only to the physical blind, but to ultimately the picture of all of this is that he wants 
people. He wants us. He wanted them. He wants us, everyone, to, to recognize that we are born in sin, that we are in darkness. And if we will recognize our true condition, then we can see. This is the overarching point of Jesus' interaction with the blind man and with the Pharisees. He's not simply wanting to just perform a miracle. There's a bigger purpose behind it. He's ultimately saying, I am the light that shines in the darkness. That's what he said in John 9, 5, at the, at the beginning of the, of the chapter. I am the light of the world. He's ultimately saying, I am the light that shines in the darkness. And just like I can bring physical sight to the blind, I too have the power to open the spiritual eyes of those who are in darkness. But first, those that are who are in darkness must know and recognize that they're in darkness. Kind of the idea of the gospel, right? What's the, what's the meaning of the word gospel? It's the good news. So, so for the good news to be good news, what must you understand? Right. Right. So, so it would be like, it would be like, let's see, what kind of example can I use here? It would be like me going to Pastor Freddie and telling him, Pastor Freddie, I have good news for you good news is is that i got you a brand new set of golf clubs and 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 i'm i'm gonna take you next week and we're gonna go i'm gonna teach you to play golf is that good news to brother freddie now if i told brother freddie that that would be bad news to brother freddie but but if i told brother freddie that i had courtside seats to the cleveland cavaliers game in the Eastern Conference Finals after they beat, are they playing Boston right now? No, they, uh, no so they just swept. Yeah, so they're going to be playing Boston, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that would be incredible news for Pastor Freddie, right? So, but you got to start with the bad news first. The bad news, the bad news is that I, 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 I can't get those tickets. I can't, I can't afford those tickets, right? I can't, I can't afford them. And so, so he's crushed by the bad news. But the good news is, is that somebody paid for them. Somebody paid for those tickets. Uh, some rich guy that I know got me the tickets. And so now you, you, you get to have those tickets. It's a free gift of salvation. But you first have to, un- you have to receive the bad news first. Good news is not good news unless you understand the bad news first. You have to understand the bad news. I can't afford them. It's, it's, it's all that I would want to do is to give you those tickets. But the bad news is, I can't give them to you. I know what you need, and you need those tickets, but I can't get it to you. But the good news is, is that somebody paid for them. I could sell my golf clubs? Nah, I don't know about that, brother. I, I, I just bought some new ones. But the good news is, the good, and the good news is incredible news. After he's crushed that I, I couldn't get it for him, the good news is, is through the roof because it was paid for him. So that, that's, you have to understand the bad news first, that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to save yourself. And the, the bad news is, is that you're guilty. That's the bad news. So that's what has to be understood for those that are in darkness. They have to understand that they're in darkness first. And if they don't understand they're in darkness, then, then what does it mean that God can give, can, can, can give me light? I didn't know I was in the darkness. I, I didn't know that I was lost. Why do I need to be found? I didn't know that I, I needed to be born again. I thought I was already born. Sounds like when Nicodemus and Jesus were talking. Right? And this is what has to happen. Those that are in darkness must first recognize that they are in darkness. Second Corinthians 4 says this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel, this good news, is veiled, so it's veiled, who is it veiled to? It's veiled to those who are perishing. So those that are not believers, what, 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 what is it with them? In their case, verse 4, the God, lowercase g, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They're in darkness. Who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shines out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give. This is so good. So Christ has shown in our hearts the miracle of God. We're born again. We're out of darkness. And now what happens? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God wants to shine the glory of Christ through your life so that those that the God of this world has blinded, so that they can see, just like you saw. So the third thing that we see is that if you recognize your blindness, this is what Jesus is saying, Jesus will give you sight. The fourth thing, fourth thing, if you think you can see on your own, you can't. If you think you can see on your own, you can't. That's what it says in John 9. Let's look at the text, John 9, 40 through 41. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say these things, and they said to him, are are, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. If you would recognize that you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But now, now that you say, we see. Because you think you see. Because you think you know God. Because you think you have it figured out and and you know the answers. Because you say, we see, your guilt remains. If you think you can see on your own, you can't. That's the purpose of this whole text. This is the culmination of all. This is the reason for the miracle. He's wanting them to recognize and to see that they cannot see on their own. Pride will keep you from the healing and the freedom that God desires to give. Pride will keep you from, from, from the healing of your sick heart and the freedom and the, the freedom from bondage to sin. Pride will keep you from that, keep you from what God desires to give. And Jesus wanted these religious leaders to know him, to worship him, to serve him. But their pride, because they believed that they could see and they didn't need help, they refused to believe. They were actually blind. Do you remember in Matthew 23, and I've read this before on a Wednesday night, but this is one of my favorite passages. Anytime I get a chance, I like to read it because it's such a great section of Scripture to demonstrate the compassion and the heart of God. But if you read through Matthew 23, Jesus blasts the Pharisees over and over and over again. He says, you hypocrites, you blind guides, you, 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 you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And it culminates in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. These would have been some of the same Pharisees he's talking to in John 9. Some of the same Pharisees. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Jesus was a prophet sent from God to be the savior of the world. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. What was he saying there? He says, I wanted to gather you to myself. I came and I proved myself to you. I showed you who I am. And what did it say here? You were not, you were not willing. You were, you were willfully blind. You, you willfully rejected me. 
See, your house is left to you desolate. What's the end of rejection of Christ? What's, what's the results? Separation. It's emptiness. It's emptiness. There's, there's no life. There's, there's no hope. Your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until, until, until you say, until you say, you know, every knee will bow. The day is coming when every knee will bow. And, and there's going to be knees that are going to be bowing because they are willingly bowing. But there's going to be knees that are going to be bowing because they are forced to bow. Because they, they, they are seeing the reality of the glory of God at the day of judgment. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God gives grace to the humble. And this is what Jesus was after. This is what he's after. I mean, anytime you read through the Gospels, he wants those that are rejecting him to come to him, to receive grace, to receive, to receive mercy. This is the point of, that's the whole point of John 9. The point of John 9 was not that the man born blind would be healed. It's not the point. The point of John 9 was that the man born blind would give glory to the name of Jesus and that those that would witness the miracle would do what the man born blind did. Lord, I believe and I worship. That's, that's the point. That's the point of the miracle of the man born blind so that they would respond like the man that was born blind. Jesus, I believe, I worship you. James 4, 6 through 9. I'm gonna read this as we close. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. I would, I would hate that to be said of me. You know, there's one thing that you don't ever want to be said of you. One thing you don't ever want to happen to you is that God would oppose you. To be opposed by God. So you can rest assured that if you do not want to be opposed by God, don't be proud. God will oppose the proud. God opposes the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. Do you need grace in, 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 in your life right now? We all need grace. We're saved by grace. Grace alone through faith alone through Christ alone. But do you need grace right now in your life as a Christian? Humble yourself. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is what he wanted. This is the picture of John, John 9. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. Recognize, recognize. Be wretched and mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Be wretched and mourn over your sin. This is what Jesus is telling him in John 9. He said, I want you to see, but because you think you can see, your guilt remains. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, your, 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 your pride-filled laughter, when you walk away and you leave, you're, you're mocking me. He's saying, let that laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And what's going to happen? He's going to exalt you. Amen? Amen. Powerful section. That's a beautiful section in John 9. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. That changes us, transforms us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us more grace. Give us more grace. Lord, we need your grace. We need your grace. God, there's some here tonight, God, they need your grace. God, they're weary. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to humble themselves, to submit themselves to you. 
to draw near to you, to draw near to you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. God, we don't deserve it and we can't earn it. God, you give it freely. God, I thank you for the revelation of John 9, Lord, that, that you give sight to the blind, that you have opened. God, I thank you that you have opened our spiritual eyes and we see that we're no longer in darkness. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your work in our hearts. God, I pray, God, as it said in 2 in Second Corinthians, that the very light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ would shine through our life and that people would see Christ, that people in darkness would have their eyes opened by the power of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.